to episode 12 of Do You Expect Us To Talk? I'm your host, Rebecca Andrews, and with me are fellow Bond fans, Chris Byrne and Dave Bond. Say hi. Hello. Hi folks, how are you doing? This time, we are discussing the music of Bond, and in particular, the scores of the Sean Connery era, so from 1962 to 1971, so all the films that we've reviewed so far. We have a special guest with us this evening, um, film score expert and editor of Films on Wax, Charlie Brigden. Hi Charlie, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Well, after that, expert. Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah, I am an absolute film score nerd, um, and I run a website called Films on Wax, um, and uh, have very, uh, very kindly been invited on to talk about the music of James Bond, well, the Sean Connery era. Charlie, where do you want to start, buddy? Um, well, we might as well start at the beginning with Doctor No. Okay. Um, I've just basically just let you know i just kind of all my notes are chronological um, uh, well that so seems us, i think kind of just go through yeah um so yeah doctor no where the uh the, the james bond thing was first introduced um in that amazing credit sequence which is probably by far and away the best part of the film oh that's a bit harsh i really kind of like doctor no <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's it one of your favorites isn't it to be fair it's one of your favourites, isn't it, Dave? Doctor No. I, I mean, it's certainly. I mean, without getting into reviewing films, films again. Uh, yeah, it's in the top half dozen. I really quite like Doctor No. But um, the the music for me is it's a bit like watching the first Star Wars film. That over years they uh, expand the palette on which they call, and I think with 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 the first James Bond film, they've got the Bond theme and not a lot else. So it's kind of a basic score, but it's a memorable score, which is kind of a good thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of the, there's two parts to it. I mean, there's there's the kind of the calypso music, like Three Blind Mice and stuff like that, and then the the kind of the obviously the the songs um, like Under the Mango Tree, yeah, um, which was actually dubbed. Sandra was dubbed. <clears throat> yeah, she was dubbed in two different places, wasn't she? Because she was dubbed for the film. And the song and the and actual the recorded version as well. Album, yeah. Yeah, the album version was record was sung by a lady called Diana Copeland, who was uh, Monty Norman's actually his his wife. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't no, know I she was married. Either. Do you know what I know her from? I know her from Blessed His House with Sid Jakes. <laughs> I didn't know she was married to Monty Norman. Yeah, guys. How about that? And there's a um, there's a section earlier in the film where they they play it on a record, um, and that's her singing, and then. Andress, I think, was dubbed all the way through the film by a lady called Nikki Van Der Zyl. Yeah, she did. She did it on the big yeah. actually. Um, that's... um, the the score. I mean, yeah, like like you said, it's that theme. And um, interesting enough, a lot of the music on there was inserted by Peter Hunt, the editor, who obviously would go on and direct um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Um, so he kind of put it in there kind of willy-nilly without any real thought for how it would work musically. Like when I, when I was re-watching it, the, uh, the scene where, iconic scene where Sean Connery introduces himself um, at the poker table or the gambling table or whatever it is. Um, and as soon as he says Bond, James Bond, 
the score comes in with the theme yes. and it just sounds terrible and just like it's just plastered on and then just kind of plays for like 20 or 30 seconds while he uh, walks off with the uh, with the lady. Um, and I, th I thought that was quite interesting. But um, actually looking at some of the other bits of, uh, of, of score, like, for instance, the, the, the spider scene, um, I thought was really well done. I think we can all hear that in our heads. I mean, and that tells you a lot. I mean, we, we might not be music score experts, mm. but as soon as you said the tarantula bit, I think we all had that bit of music in our head. It's very yeah. memorable. Yeah, it's, I think it's it, for me. It's slightly derivative of um, perhaps the music that was uh, created for the film Tarantula, the nineteen fifty-five Universal film, um, which was a musician composer called Herman Stein, and also music from uh, Henry Mancini before he became big with things like Breakfast at Tiffany's, and it's kind of got very much that kind of feeling, kind of B movie feeling, which is perfect for that scene. And um, the way it ends as well with the kind of orchestral blasts in time with Connery um, hitting, hitting it with, with his a, shoe. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite. Exactly. Yeah. And that's quite inspired and was something at the time that um, Cubby Broccoli hated. Um, and they wanted to they wanted to take it out. Um, but, uh, but it stayed in. I think that is one of the most memorable musical moments of the film. So well, again, film. I mean, Chris is sat here like born in the eighties, and he's, he's just immediately done <laughs> yeah. with what it sounds like. And yes, we're Bond fans, but we're Bond fans of like twenty four, twenty five films. Mm. I mean, Doctor No doesn't get an awful lot more exposure than any of the rest. No, and we're talking about like a few seconds, like less than halfway through the film, and we can all immediately call up that cue. I think it Absolutely. really adds to that scene as well. I mean, I'm not fond of spiders so I always look away when I like well I, not anymore because you know I'm fully grown man but uh, <laughs> but, but growing up I was like oh shit it's drunk a bit I'm gonna look away now like uh, to be fair I'm... I still go behind a cushion really but, yeah <laughs> even though I know what's coming but never mind it, 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 it doesn't help that in the, in the age of um, high definition you can see the glass yeah that it's walking on in, in some of the scenes I think yeah, that helps me get more through powerful. it but I think one of the, there's one bit that I picked up when it was climbing up whoever's arm it is. I don't think I think if I recall, Connery refused to do it. Oh yeah, Bob's. Um, uh, there's this bit where the woodwinds are kind of swirling and swirling around, and it does a brilliant job at kind of just mimicking the the walking of the spider and the climbing up the arm, which I thought was just just had a brilliant effect. It's a, it's the, it's the piece of music I always think when I hear like when you like whatever movies do spiders, it's that similar sort of mm. horn kind of like... Mm, I mean, I think even like in a film like Arachnophobia, like the... Oh, yeah, the, 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 like the I remember like, it's kind of like the musical cue of the of the spiders were kind of very much like a low horn, kind of like slow and... Mm, mm, yeah, like... Mm, yeah. yeah, kind of almost, almost like a variation on Jaws as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and again, but the, that was kind of... Probably, probably the the best uh, scored part in the film, I think. Um, and obviously, with Doctor No, you have to kind of delve into the um, Monty Norman John Barry dispute. In terms I've never of understood why that's a dispute. Only in as much as I thought it was quite clear Monty Norman repurposed something from a film he did earlier. Mm. 
Yeah, it was. But it, the riff was from a uh, a musical that was unproduced, um, and the song was called um, "Bad Sign, Good Sign." Okay. There's, there was even lyrics for it written for it, weren't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that bit is what's seen as seen as Norman, but um, the the Barry bit is more kind of like the bridge and the do 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 that part. Uh, I sort see. Of so we, we right. So the the average member of the general public who's got a remote interest in this listens to like that little bit from was it House of Mister Biz was. And they, they, they hear like a little bit of music in a kind of Calypso style and it sounds like James Bond. Mm-hmm. And they obviously go, well, he wrote it. Yeah. Not understanding that like the Bond theme was kind of a bit longer than that. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, I think, yeah, because there, there was a big court case and then kind of, again, because because he wrote that initial riff, but it's kind of like, where you got, it's an interesting kind of, of you, point of view of, of how you can view a piece of music and you look whether it's just that basic riff. I mean, because it's like um, License to Kill, um, when obviously we'll, we'll talk when we get onto that. I era. can't wait for that actually, because yeah, I know they had to pay some royalties for yeah, that, didn't because they? Because that's got the Goldfinger again, we'll talk about Goldfinger later, but that's got the Goldfinger yeah. riff in. Mm. Um, and they, after the song kind of came out, they had to end up paying royalties to. Um, to John Barry and Co. Um, for, uh, for, for, for I'm sorry to jump ahead, and, and I know we'll talk about it more at the time, but I genuinely <laughs> cannot remember and would like to know. When we get to, um, I think it was on the extras for uh, License to Kill, who, who produced that song? Um, it was a uh, Narada Michael Walden. That's right. Wow. I, he's in, he's interviewed, name. isn't he, on the um, special features? Yeah. And no one's trying to hide it. They weren't. They weren't trying to rip anything off. Well, no, exactly. And I, th- I think it's it, it works really well, and it's a nice kind of callback um, to obviously what what is the most iconic song of James Bond, really. At least, well, at least that era. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll wait until License to Kill for you. Yeah. yeah, sorry about that. The funny thing that always strikes me about license, yeah, we'll get there. Funny thing that strikes me about license kill is the. We'll get there. Our catchphrase. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> they always use. Uh, well, I, I, each time I pick it up, I always think, "Hang on, that's off Die Hard, or that's off uh, Lethal Weapon." <laughs> like they're like little sort of musical cues, like particularly towards the end, which is like, "Hang on, I've heard this in like in, uh, God knows how many eighties action films." But the score's well, quite similar, aren't they? Because 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 license to kill is scored by Michael Kamen, mm. who scored Lethal Weapon and who scored Die Hard. Mm. Um, so and he re- kind of redefined action scoring at that time mm. with those two films and kind of carried that on. Um, I mean, because with, with License to Kill, they originally tried to make a new theme with Eric Clapton, um, oh, wow. who who had been on um, Lethal Weapon, yeah, and who works, works so well on there. Um, it did it did come off, but um, but, so, they, but they, still... that was originally off. Uh, was it Heart of Darkness? The other Heart of Darkness. The, um... That that BBC thing. Edge, 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 yeah, they were Edge of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. is a documentary yeah. about um, yeah. 
Apocalypse Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Michael Kamen has always was always a, bless his heart because unfortunately he passed away. But um, yes, he did. He, yeah, he was always a composer that did very well in melding the uh, the rock and orchestral style to the point where he did a very famous concert with Metallica. Yeah. And the, was that uh, Michael Kamen? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. I knew Metallica did like a. An orchestral thing. I didn't know it was Michael Caine. Yeah, it was called S and M. Um, so I think it was just like the San Francisco. That makes me worried at like how time's going by because Michael Caine has been dead about twelve years. <laughs> and if you genuinely said to me yeah. when did that Metallica thing happen, I'd have said like two thousand. It, it wasn't far off his death though, to be fair. Oh, okay. Fair no, but... um, yeah, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he died in about 03, didn't he? Yeah. 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 It's a um, shame because yeah, so... he was really like, a, if you actually look at his body of work, he's actually quite a very director. You think, you know, Michael Kamen always did like. Yeah, did... what was Fields of Joy off? Because I've got a Lenny Kravitz album with, with the opening track is Fields of Joy, and it's written by Michael Kamen. Yeah, well, he, he did because he, he, he released albums before he was a film score composer. Okay. Um, so he was very much into that. Uh, uh, that that kind of era, which they but he came from a rock a rock music background, um, and he did stuff like for Pink Floyd and things like that as well, like or- orchestrations and things like that, and then came into to doing film scoring, and uh, which is why there's a lot of kind of guitar work and things like that in there, which makes it very distinctive, and possibly too distinctive when obviously Chris talking about how it does sound like the Lethal Weapons and and the Diehards because it is all the same guy. Um, scoring in that kind of style, but you, you can't win with that, though, can you? Because it, if it's not distinctive, then it's bland and doesn't have a signature. And if it is distinctive, it's like, well, you're not serving the film, so yeah, you can't really win with that. I mean, if, if what generally what I do to um, when I, when I look at scores that I really like and I kind of want to deconstruct them further, um, I uh, just rip the uh, the audio track off the DVD. And then just listen to it through there, so you can break it down further. Because you're not concentrated on the visuals; you're just concentrated on what you're hearing. Mm. And especially if it is something like Ice to Kill," where there is so little music, um, actually on the soundtrack album compared to what was composed for the film, it's not always easy. So, like you said, you are listening to these kind of snatches against the uh, the explosions and the uh, the dialogue and all that kind of thing as well, um, and. Actually, license license to kill is quite quite surprisingly Barry esque at times, um, which I suppose is, is something that all composers really do try and uh, try and be when they come on to uh, to score Bond. Yeah, I would have thought so. Uh, so, so uh, what's the, so what's next? So, uh, where were we? Well, I think we kind of gone off track now. Oh, we were talking about Doctor No. Yeah, and we just yeah, and, 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 sure and casually just skipped to, to license to kill. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, yeah. Uh, am, I, am I right in saying, Charlie, you're a Licence to Kill fan as a film? Absolutely, yeah. It's my favourite Bond. Oh, God, we love you. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, I love it. I think it's a Chris great and I film. might set a harem up with you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just, sit, we'll just sit painting our nails and watching Licence to Kill. <laughs> but there you go. Carry on. <laughs> so, um, I could watch Licence to Kill right now. Like, any time. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the commentary but, might get brought forward at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as long as you save me a seat for that one. Um, well, if we go on to from Rush with Love, um, which was the first one that John Barry had his name on solo. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's the uh, the the 
title sequence music is, even though there is a song for it, is orchestral, instrumental. There's the vocals um, only at the end of the film, which is interesting. What what struck me, Charlie? Sorry to interrupt. What really struck me about, and I said it, in, I, I said it when we reviewed the film, that you you got to remember in 1963, nobody has seen the film since theaters the year before. Might have been in theaters for a long time, so maybe it was only seven or eight months. I, I don't know, but the fact is, uh, they haven't like watched the film on DVD that night before they've gone out, mm. and. It was a bit of a sensation. I mean, the, the subsequent films did really much better, but the fact is Dr. No did very, very well. And the thing that really strikes, strikes me about, um, and I, I, say it on the, I say it on the review, the way they crash into the title sequence. Oh, yeah. From, but... from the pre-title. Mm, it's, and it's a that brilliant must moment. have been so exciting in 1963. Or it's like it's like a gun. And it's just and then sorry, no, that's I'm, that's completely the wrong one. That's no, it is. Yeah, yeah, that's And it's just. probably insert some proper music in here at some point. Yeah, we will. Yeah, please do because like. But it must be And the thing is, it excites me now. And I, I, when I think about Bond films and what I, it's not even about what I do and don't like. It's just when I'm thinking about like moments that press my buttons, moments in the films that like excite me, then you know, that one is one of them. When they crash into the credits, I just think cinema must have seen nothing like that before 1963. Mm. I cannot imagine. I mean, Hitchcock did a run of films like where he was doing one a year. But there was never like, here we go again in the in the in the titles. It was and the titles really has a sense of urgency about it. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, thinking about it, I don't think we see that urgency again till License to Kill. No, maybe not. I don't think. Yeah, we'll I definitely have to bring the License to Kill one forward at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but... That's because we all want to watch it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Let's face it. Um, yeah, but it it it. I always find like the gun. I always. Blast uh, Girl is actually one of my favourite gun battles, and it's it, it, it's largely because of the music. Uh, but the majority of them kind of have a bit more of a slower kind of like, uh, what's the word? I mean, most of them kind of just feel, feel very ordinary if you actually compare them. You know, it's only Last Girl. Well, I think like the point is, Chris, you, you don't remember one over the other. Mm. I mean, if I said to you now, I mean, maybe maybe I'm picking bad examples because. I don't know what you don't rem- what you do or don't remember, but if I said to you, how is the ty- uh, is how is the gun barrel music for, uh, I don't know, um, uh, the man with the golden gun different from Octopussy? The chances are you wouldn't know. Mm. Very few of them stick out, and License to Kill really does, mm. and it sticks out for a good reason, whereas something like Goldeneye sticks out for a bad one. Yeah. I think I think generally what sticks out for me with with the gun bars is kind of the timing more than anything, um, and it is something I actually picked out on my notes about from Russia with Love, and the Spy Who Loved Me is also one that um, 
that always gets me is is the timing just seems really awkward In from what way? Way from what the way, Charlie just from just from the the kind of strains of and then when it turns and when it does the just just the kind of the timing just seems really awkward and just really ill thought out um and the um just the whole beat of the thing as well. I mean, in, in, I mean, you're right. License to Kill has an amazing gun barrel. Um, Save us tomorrow know, night. That, that that amazing gun barrel is largely for its first two or three seconds. Yeah, that do 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 It just comes in and yeah. it's it's almost slicing through you. Yeah, and you then the. The, the way but it, the, at the time it was like making talk. a stand because this, this is like a new bond, a new attitude, new like you it's know, making a real statement, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Which, which was the same as well with George Martin's Live and Let Die, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's the, a lot more the, like the uh, funkier and a bit more like, yeah, yeah, the gun baron on that is very distinctive. And then, um, my, my favorite one is actually, um, just after the king one was the is the tomorrow never dies one which is just, just <laughs> sure uh have you have i don't know we talked about it on our um actually on, on in terms of music cues i don't think tomorrow never dies is my favorite oh no but we were talking about favorite gun barrel full stop yeah and my favorite gun barrel is Brosnan. and of the four music cues he did i like tomorrow never dies most which means, by definition, my favourite gun barrel is Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. It's most bondy and sounding it's got a really, lot, really, really The only thing that lets it down for me, and this is like my personal preference, like I, I, I kind of don't like it when it when it just goes like, da 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 I, I kind of want it to be like, uh, want to have the proper full-on... Like, uh, I, I guess the difference I is, I mean, if you, I mean, you can argue about where it started, but the film we've just seen in terms of Spectre won't spoil too much for Charlie here. But you do get that sort of crash into it. There's mm. some sound before, and we've, Chris talked about not being some sure about that. But when you listen to Tomorrow Never Dies, it's just so relaxed. It's doom, 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 doom. Um, and some people don't like that because it takes away from the sense of occasion. I, 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 think... don't, I, I don't mind that as the build up, but when it, when it just ends with like kind of duh, duh, it feels like while well, I'm playing a video game rather than like a bomb video game, I'd rather have the. But anyway, we're going, uh, folks, oh. we're going off talking, so we've Sorry. Good... Yeah, <laughs> um... I mean, I, I think for, for me it depends as well on. I mean, I like this one, Never Dies one, the way it ends because it, it really ends in a context in terms of setting up the following scene. In terms of Spy Never Dies as a score, I don't think it's uh, that good, but it has really excellent parts. And I think that's something Arnold was good at was the, some of the, some of his parts for his scores are not always the best, but there's some, that cue white knight, the, the, the opening cue that follows the gun barrel is just a great, really amazing tense cue. Um, and just, just the kind of the, the subtle, almost downbeat way that gun barrel plays out into the opening of that scene to the, uh, to the arms market. Just for me, I mean, it's, it's like there's there's always the kind of just like you said the, the little ways like the um the spy who loved me one where it plays out with that weird kind of uh synth sound the kind of bubbling sound and um, um and the way that plays out um so I mean but that's for me it's, it's that kind of adds that kind of like underwater kind of thing I always think absolutely it would, yeah, yeah it's, it kind it's of like, looking at it in the in the in the kind of greater context. Um, but moving back to Mushroom yeah. Club, um, it's, uh, 
Someone like thing... us get distracted by what we're actually talking about. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. We reviewed it. I, mean, I can't remember if you mentioned it, but certainly we have talked about it, the three of us. We definitely thought from Russia with Love was a big step forward as a score from Doctor No. Mm. I, I think it's a, it's a brilliant score. And it's, it's the action is, is so well scored. Um, and also the, um, the 007 theme. Oh, we love the 007 theme. I mean, when we were talking about this show, it, it's changed through the weeks because we, we've tended to... I say we, Chris does the editing. Yeah, we've tended to We've tended to, like, cut in the themes of the film we're talking about. Mm. But our oh, yeah. base theme, if you like, is the 007 theme. And it's because we really, really like it, all three of us. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a true one. classic. And that's kind of... I, I, I tend to think if you suddenly stuck it in a Craig film, it would sound odd, but I really, really wish they could because it's the, it is such a lovely, it's such a great piece of music. And it's, it's, it's a not real what we've heard for a long time the, as well, haven't it's, we? It's such a loss to the series. Sorry, yeah, I Becca? Think... What did you say, Becca? Oh, yeah, no, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say we haven't heard it for a long time. No, the last time was um, in Moonraker. Moonraker. Yeah, so yeah, quite a few years. Yeah, so it would be good to see the nice. return to the series. But would it really, would it really sound anachronistic now? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't. I mean, you know, the, it, the whole thing about people who score films is that they they just understand it more than us, and I, you know, they they would put in things we think wouldn't work, and maybe it would. Yeah, I think like it would sound... jazz it up a little bit, make it like a like a different take. I, I wish it could be. I, I mean, you could even say I know it wasn't used in the actual film, but like the that that Majesty's beat they used in the trailer for Spectre, you know, like that, you know, they got everyone excited. Like mm. that's kind of similar. It's like well, the same thing, but just like used in a different way. Yeah, and a bit I more think modern. It... Sorry, I don't think it sounded any more um, anachronistic than the uh, the drum and bass in Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, oh dear, that was a disaster. Oh, which bit of the film are you referring to? Um, the uh, the where he's driving the car on the um, on the back seat. All right, yeah. Yeah, he's in the remote control car and it goes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then just just goes. Yeah, because that was because obviously David Arnold came out of the the James Bond project where he used people like he had Mo. I, I don't I, know. If I, it was do actually... ha- I do have shaken instead. Yeah, yeah me it, too. I, I've got I the movie album too. Yeah, I love it? the Majesty song on it. But yeah, it's very drama based heavy, I think. And yeah, well, I it, think it really dates the score. Was it Tomorrow Never Dies where they actually have Moby do the theme? Yeah, God, yeah I, I, I remember that. Because that's yeah. why I had everyone on it. And then the, 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 <laughs> I have it on TV single somewhere. <laughs> I don't really like it. Well, well it's, no, yeah. it, it's, uh, it's I funny. I remember like Moby like sort of. Uh, introduced the song saying, "Oh, I did this for a film." Then I saw the film and I thought it was actually complete shit. And it's like, "Oh, we talking about that? Are you talking about uh, tomorrow never dies?" Awkward. Just a little bit. Never mind. <laughs> but, um... I mean, the, the thing, I, I mean, yeah. Sorry, I was about to go into David Arnold. That no, that's for later. <laughs> um, the, the From Russia with Love score, I just think is I I can't remember different cues. I really can't. But my overall perception of it, it is it's kind of pretty. I think yeah, it's it, kind it, of a pretty it, score. It, it's gorgeous, but it's got those kind of the dangerous bits. I mean, one one thing that I kind of pulled out was the uh, the, the gypsy fight. Um, the the music when when the, uh, the the girls are fighting at the gypsy camp, and there's real. Well, kind actually, of I think we ought to hear a bit of a cue of that right now. Thank <laughs> you. 
interesting little bit is, is the um, the train fight with what the shore of the Red Grant um, was originally scored, um, but was not used. Um, what, do you think, it, what do you think of the impact that has? I mean, does it would it sound better with a score, or do you think it sounds good as it is? You know, just the rumble in the background and. I actually looked on YouTube because someone had because the cue is on the album. It's called it's just called it's called Death of Grant, and there's it's kind of like a, a medley cue, but there's a bit in there. Well, spoil um, it back in the day. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Spoiler for 1963. <laughs> <laughs> they might have made Grant from EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. It works quite well, but it's it's obviously it's kind of hard. Um, going through the years, seeing that scene again and again and again. I as think it is, the, the point is the Bond it. series is like quite heavily scored, and and so if you drop all sound out, that has an effect all of its own. Absolutely, yeah. So when we get to, for example, um, to, sorry to jump ahead again, but the music for Majesty's Secret Service, the fight between Bond and the henchman who comes to track him in like Tracy's room, um, that again has no score, and you just got the. We'll get to um, yeah, like, yeah. They sort of like the um, electronic sounds of like the punches and that being thrown. Mm. And yeah, to talk interesting. to talk about a, a non-bond score, which which um, Dave was talking about earlier. Um, with Star Wars, if you if you look at Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, and then look at the Empire Strikes Back. In the Empire Strikes Back, there is a lot of mo- of non-music of, of scenes with no music, and there was a hell actually quite a bit of music that was dropped. Um, that, that John Williams wrote and recorded that was just not used in the film, oh. and and it works to amazing effect really. And and some of the, some of the the kind of silent moments uh, really kind of make the rest of the music stand out. Yeah, I think it's sometimes very often if it's especially with and those sort of films as well, but also in from much of that, that's quite the, that train fight scene is quite a brutal scene. Mm. I think maybe because you've got the sound of the punches being thrown. And also the background noise of the train kind of rumbling uh, through. And back in an era where punches didn't sound like explosions. <laughs> no, people were hitting bags of sand or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, it kind of serves to kind of make the brutality mm. of it more, all the more noticeable, really. So, um, what do you reckon to Goldfinger then? Moving on. It's all right. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got the more brassy kind of sound, really, haven't we? Really good. I, I actually think Goldfinger is is really nice. I mean, yeah, I think I'm contrasting it to stuff around it because I'm, I'm. We'll get to Thunderball in a minute. I'm not overly fond of fond of Thunderball. I think Goldfinger is just instantly memorable, and I think a lot of it is it's using, a bit like from Russia with Love. It's using themes and cues from such a memorable title song. Absolutely, I mean, and also um, very liberal use of the Bond theme as well. That opening sequence with the. Uh... Um, Sean Connery with a duck, with a duck on his head, <laughs> um, and the the actual the actual cue is, is called Bond back in action, and just it's it's a great moment, and then obviously the, uh, heavy, yeah. mm, uh, it's and the the the, title, the pre-title sequence in itself is amazing, and then leading into that that kind of classic big brass bass sound. Um, and then you've got all these other kind of bits, like there's the, the kind of Welcome to Miami Beach scene, the big kind I of love swaggering that. grass. And, and the thing is, I mean, you're a film score person, and we all enjoy scores, and we, we all register certain bits, but a lot of it kind of goes over our head, which, you know, it's supposed to. It's supposed to serve the scene it's in. But I, read, I would imagine all four of us can hear that Welcome to Miami Beach thing in our heads right now. Mm. I saw it. Very, I can't very remember memorable. 
I actually can't remember. <laughs> Should we find it then? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I Very kind of, very kind of like, well, welcome to Roku. I'm going to start doing that now and put a real clip. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll leave, I'll leave it. I've got the days in this. Chris, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind, so, I don't mind looking at the facts sometimes, but like, real ones, you know? And there's the, yeah, um, I mean, that to me, and I tried to say it in our Goldfinger podcast, and I was looking around YouTube. Trying to find a clip to back me up, and I kind of fucked it up, couldn't find it. But um, it reminded me of the only bits of source music left in The Godfather. Mm. Um, very, very sort of Henry Mancini. Absolutely, yeah. Um, a kind of, kind of swaggering, almost gangsterish kind of. Which I suppose is, is fitting for the. Uh... The kind of Miami as well, the kind of that that big kind of area. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that kind of that swagger is kind of a thing that I would just apply to the whole of Goldfinger's score. Um, I mean, there's this 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 scene where they uh, it's a confident film, isn't it? Chuck? Absolutely, they chase the Forget guy to the like or hate it. It's a confident film. Absolutely, there's the the the, the um where the the flying circus do their raid on Fort Knox. And there, there's I can hear that in my head. Wonderfully swaggering kind of um, airplane music, and then um, where uh, where they're kind of following him to the crush, the car crusher, and it's just a great use of the, the of the actual Goldfinger theme there. Well, let's hear a bit of that right now. Not so obvious stuff like the music that underscores the um, the do you ex do you expect me to talk scene, which obviously this podcast is named after. Right. Um, the, the the kind of very subtle kind of tension that kind of rackets up behind the dialogue, um, and because the, the way that that scene's just kind of on paper, Bond sits down talking to Goldfinger, um, and then you've got the laser. And the music that kind of really kind of help with the tension against each other while this dialogue is going on. It's a real kind of slow burn, isn't it? In terms of mm. like the, 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 the mm. I guess the timing, the yeah. pacing of it. Yeah, well. yeah, like you said, little bits that you don't necessarily mention, like just before he before he throws Oddjob's hat at him at the end. Um, there's this little brass melody, this little fun little melody that's there. Um, it just goes away straight away after that as Oddjob dies, but uh, just just these little moments, and obviously the the song is it's not it my goes, favorite. But it goes without saying, doesn't it? Really, what do you, <laughs> you say it's not your favorite, Charlie? What do you think of the song? I think it's a, I think it's an amazing song, and I th I think the, the melody 
and the uh, the lyrics as well. It's just it's it's hard to to really talk about something um, that's so it's iconic. Been the D, it's been in the DNA of the culture for our entire it lifetime. It is. Yeah, exactly. I think it, I think without treading on the end of the show, we do have some questions at the end of the show. Mm, yeah, that Charlie solicited on um, t- uh, Twitter earlier on, and uh, one of them is about. Uh, the theme tunes as a genre of its own and I think we'll address it then because definitely we approach Bond themes in different ways but we'll move on from there yeah okay Um, so yeah Goldfinger is amazing Um, Thunderball I found Thunderball Thunderball really I I found Thunderball a really bland score actually when when we um, when we recorded it recently it wasn't uh, our review I mean it wasn't that it Mm. repeated anything I just felt like I wasn't hearing anything new. Yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a bit of Dom, where Bond is talking with Domino on the beach and um, someone follows them and he very casually shoots I the guy with the spear the gun. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm. um, but the, uh, the the score in there is quite nice and a, a bit of an emotion. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the most interesting thing I find about Thunderball is nothing to do with its score, um, but the fact that it, it's got four recorded versions of the title thing Four of, of a title. Oh, actually, yeah, four would be right because you've yeah. got uh, the Cash. one that was done with Tom Jones. The Tom Jones. Okay, uh, let's go one at a time, Charlie. What was yep. next? What so was then, the other option? So the first one, which was rejected, was Johnny Cash. Yeah, we've all listened to it. It sounds like something off a Western TV series. Yeah. We well, of course, it? it's Johnny Cash. It's basically <laughs> Bonanza. Can we... Yeah, Bonanza. Can we hear a clip and talk about it just afterwards? <laughs> The Velvet Underground yes. would have done. Yeah, would have definitely. Done, would have done like the next one. Well, perhaps, in, perhaps in that alternate universe, knocking on heaven's door would be a bomb thing. God, don't. Oh, don't how about that? Me. Oh, but um, I never yeah. thought of that. But certainly, that is a very, very weird thing. It doesn't suit Bond. It suits yeah. a Western. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, as much as a, as a massive Johnny Cash fan as I am, it doesn't suit the kind of the Bond, at least at least this Bond. Anyway. But I know the next two yeah. you're going to come to, Charlie, because I listened to them earlier. Yeah, you say four of which two we've named, and I think listeners will assume we are thinking of two other songs, but we're not, are we? No, there's one one other song which was the uh, Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, mm. um, which was recorded by Dionne Warwick and Shirley Bassey. Well, I guess we ought to play a clip from each of those then. So, uh, first off, uh, here is uh, Shirley Bassey's version. He's tall and he's dark and like a shark. 
That's one version, and I was expecting the Dion Warwick version to sound totally different. And I don't know what I. Dion Warwick's got a slightly lower voice, but they're kind of similar. Here's the Dion Warwick version. He's tall and he's dark, and like a shark, he looks for trouble. That's why the zeros double, Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. What do we think? I'd, I'd go with Dionne Warwick every time. I think, I think so too. I just think it doesn't fit Bassey and she doesn't just she just doesn't get it. And one of the reasons she oversings everything, doesn't she? Yeah, the the the, the bang bang. Mm. She kind of always mispronounces it as bam bam, yeah. and that was one of the reasons <laughs> why it. Yeah. Used, as well as the fact that United Artists kicked off that it didn't it wasn't called Thunderball. They wanted it with the title. Mm. But um, the lyrics are pretty decent, though. They do fit the oh, guy we know. Yeah, they, they fit the character of Bond as well. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, as they do. So. I, lo- I love the Tom Jane song as, as someone who, while I'm not Welsh, I live in Wales, so a bit of, a bit of um, pseudo-Welsh pride. Um, but I think it's a great song. And it's, it's a great vehicle for his voice. Mm. But I think the, the, the Dion Warwick... If I had to choose one of the four... Would be that. I think it would be Dion Warwick's version. No, I'd yeah. have to agree. It's, it's interesting that, that Barry, uh, Barry, uh, Shirley Bassey um, and her agent stroke husband actually um, sued Eon and Cubby Broccoli, um, particularly Harry Saltzman, because that, was, that song was dropped. Um, and it kind of caused a bit of a riff that wasn't repaired mm-hmm. until something we'll hear later, which was Diamonds Are Forever. Mm-hmm. It, it is another... It is another... Um, score where you can hear more of a rejected theme in it than the official one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's it's like again, it's like um the uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and Surrender, which is all the way through the film. Uh, yeah, and also the uh, and the Living Daylights. I mean, where is everybody gone? It's way more in the theme than. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, it's like, um, I, I, yeah. I like that as like an alternative theme, though. It's like a you know, we you got the the title theme. Like the big main one, and then you got like the one that's like kind of embedded in the film. I think I kind of mm-hmm. like it. To me, I mean, thematically, it's a bit like you know my name. Mm. It's a little bit of an abstract. Yeah, you know who I am, and I'm cool as fuck. I, I kind of like it. Yeah, but, and I think... but Thunderball generally, and I think we said this in review. It's not our favorite of the first four, and I think a, a lot of little things about it aren't quite as good. Mm. I'm not as fond of the score as I am that the few that 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 went before, and it's especially when um, you were in there twice followed. Oh, yeah, and you know, I I talked about a golden, uh, you know, when we get we're gonna finish the show with diamonds, so I don't want to say too much about mm. it. But we we'll talk of we <laughs> talked of a golden era of Barry, and and watching diamonds recently made me question that. But certainly, I think You Only Live Twice is wonderful. 
it's it's brilliant, and uh, you can see it in that in that pre-title sequence. Mm. Just gorgeous, lush music, and I think one of the interesting things about Barry is a lot of the films he kind of did uh, that were set in space or had scenes in space all had that feel. I mean, Moonraker is a very obvious one, um, but he did the Black Hole for Disney, um, which again had had very much kind of a lush feel. And a very very terrible um, film called Star Crash, um, which starred a uh, another Bond actress, um, Caroline Munro, as well as um, David Hasselhoff. Um, and it's it's one of those ones where Barry probably wishes everyone would forget it. Um, See, I've never heard of it personally. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> nor have I. Actually. It was it, it was it was. It, it, it's one of those like I've not seen it myself. It's kind of one of those really cheap seventy sci-fi films that. Sh- you know. Yeah, it came right after Star Wars, and it was made in Italy. Ah, um, so that's it, as it was. it's very much yeah, and it's 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 very much a Star Wars ripoff. But I guess there's two bits of music from this film that obviously um, stick in my mind. I mean, the the first one you've just mentioned is the pre-title, mm. where the craft is being swallowed up in space. Yeah. And if we can find it, we're going to put a piece of it right now. And the second bit is, um, well, I, I guess, Becca, it's the bit where they're running across the roof. Mm. Yeah, that bit of music. It's the, basically the main theme, but it's that version of it that sticks in my mind. Yeah, I'd have to say the same. Yeah, it's that one that you can immediately conjure up, isn't it? Yeah. I, I you can hear it in your head. Well. Mm. And there's the, um, the, um, the use of the 007 theme for Little Nelly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I really love the 007 theme. I always have. Mm. And again at the end. Um, I think, yeah, the, the main theme is um, is lovely and I think quite versatile as a melody. And I think that sometimes is, is what makes a Bond theme a good Bond theme. Is well, yeah, you put a bit of guts be... behind it and you can use it for action. Exactly. You, you slow it down. It's sport. actually a fairly romantic theme. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was offered to Frank Sinatra originally, initially and then he decided to give it to his daughter. The theme was originally recorded by a lady called Julie Rogers okay. who recorded it at the, the CTS studios in Wembley where the, the theme, the Bond scores were generally uh, recorded in that, in that time period and then was redone with Nancy Sinatra after her father turned it down. I can't, I can't imagine Frank doing it. It just it wouldn't seem right. No, I, I can imagine if it had a different beat behind it. Like to kind of change the key totally. Yeah. I mean, but, certainly, um, the only thing I remember is this true, Charlie. It, it's a rumour I heard over the years that that is far from one take. She did, she had to do, they had to like really piece that song together. Yeah, it was taken from 25 takes. 25? Wow. I, I didn't know it was that many. I, I, I thought you'd say six or seven. I think I think yeah. Takes, apparently she was why, line. why is she that bad? <laughs> <laughs> well, just n- nervous apparently more than anything. Um, but it's I mean yeah it's, it's a lovely song and yeah, for me it's it's, good. it's a um, it's it's really kind of decadent um, and and for me it's it's kind of really Lana Del Rey who I love has a lot to answer, has a lot to uh, um, to thank that song for in terms of her. Song, her song and her style. It's kind of yes, like they've got a very quality voice about that. We've talked the song and we've talked about the theme. We've played a bit off the roof and we played the 007 theme. Yeah. Let's just play a little bit of the title sequence now. So this is Nancy Sinatra's 
version of You Only Live Twice. I definitely think that's one of the, the highlights of the series. I mean, it, it's going to rank quite high for me, I think. And, and she has a beautiful voice. I mean, I'm amazed it takes... I think the thing is, her, her, her voice actually sounds kind of like confident and relaxed at the same time. She yeah. doesn't come across as a sort of person who would need 25 takes. No, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Mm, totally. how, old, how old was she when she recorded that? Um, she so... must have been young. Oh, yeah, fairly young. Well, Frank Sinatra died in 98, and he was 80-something. Uh, yeah, it, actually, she can't have been that old. No, she's been, like, 20s, 30s. In her 20s, I thought. Yeah, very young. Yeah, she was, uh, she was 27. Yeah. Oh, wow, I was thinking she'd be younger than that, even. Mm. Lovely voice, though, and a really, Beautiful. really nice song. And yeah. it's a really nice score, and it, it lifts the film. I mean, I genuinely think if I were if I were ranking Bond scores, this one would be very high up the list. Mm. There's nothing through any of it that clunks that I don't like. No, it's really yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, we'll get from on to one end. right towards the end of this episode that I kind of thought was better than it was till I watched the film. This score is fantastic all the way through. Really like it. Mm. But Absolutely. you are about to. You're about to hit my erogenous zone, Charlie. <laughs> You're about to hit his G-spot. <laughs> I mean, we, talk, we talked in previous episodes about whether you're touching yourself. And uh, if you haven't heard those, then well done for coming on the show. Um, yes, you are about to get to my favourite score of any film. Which is an amazing score in its own right. Um, and on Her tell Majesty's us, Secret Tell service. us with your music hat on. About Honor Majesty's Secret Service and what the score does well and what I love it, it does for you. It, it feels like an evolution of the Bond sound, of Barry's sound. Um, I don't know how much that is down to the, uh, the, the huge use of the Moog synthesizer instead of the guitar playing the Bond riff. Am I right in thinking that it was the first time that that technology had been used in the score? In a Bond score. Yeah, like a Bond score, maybe. Yeah. Of, yeah. But it just sounds so epic and um, just just really gives what is already a great film um, a uh, another dimension. And I think as well, with Lazenby um, coming in and it having a new Bond, I mean, that that opening scene with the, uh, with the mood playing the riff and then um, Bond looking right, right Lazenby looking right at the camera... Um, after the, uh, the this never happens to the other fella, and then that theme going, obviously you cut that. Oh yeah, well, ladies, we just like, let let's just hear a little bit of that. The uh, opening sequence to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> 
and it's, it's just absolutely just iconic and but it's it's got substance as well as the style which i think sometimes um occasionally john barry has probably by his own admittance um been guilty of at times but um and it just just like i said it just, just feels like this is next level bond and then you have it where it's just integrating things like the the famous of the, the ski chase is the obvious one um and um just all those little action sequences where the themes used and it just always seems so inventive i i just think we i mean <laughs> I, the thing is, Majesties is is such a special film for me for lots of reasons. Some of them intellectual that I, I genuinely think the film's that good. Some of them emotional. Some of them nostalgic. But the score's such a big part of it that I just think uh, uh, any film further down the line in the series will have to get so much wrong, to, uh, so much right, sorry, to top it. And the score is just perfect at every point in the film. I, I think about them picking him up at the train station and flying to Blitz Gloria. Mm. And it's fantastic. Can we hear a bit of that? Yeah. way through there's, there's stuff like this that you think it's perfect for the point of the film and and the main theme has this driving momentum that's perfect for a film that's got like downhill skiing in it absolutely and uh, you picked out a word earlier which which i very much apply to this around this film which is emotional and i mm. personally emotion is not necessarily a uh, a feeling that i really associate with bond in general no not um, at all but with obviously the, the the song we have all the time in the world with with the amazing Louis Armstrong vocal, but just that melody, and the, the obviously the the end scene, mm. and and the way it just comes in then, mm. when he's saying she's just having a rest, it's all right, and it's just it's gut wrenching, and there are yeah. very few and yet scenes. there's people out there who put like you only live twice over this, and you just think if you've got a soul, I was watching the video and I was crying. Just yeah, I it's, 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 it's so emotional. Yeah, everything. Reduces me to tears every single time. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a myth. It was his last song, yeah. but let's just hear a little bit of that. Becca, before we go into it, uh, when you finish talking, we'll play a clip of it. Uh, on, uh, we have only all the time in the world. What does that song mean to you? Um, yeah, it has very personal meaning for me, and um, some of which I probably would won't discuss. But yeah, it's just a, a song that's very kind of dear to my heart, and um, was like. One story that I can tell is probably like one of my sort of best boyfriends, as it were. It was sort of like our song, so it kind of has that when you know made the break a little bit sweet. But I think it's just yeah, it means a lot to me personally. So, well, here it is, wonderful, wonderful song, one of the two or three best in the series, I think. Louis Armstrong.
have on the dime in the world Time enough for life to unfold All the precious things love has in store We have all the love in the world If that's all we have You will find we need nothing more And then the bomb theme tune comes in and kind of like just inappropriate like that would be lovely. Yeah, it would be like this is my song with my ex boyfriend. Like, yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, no, even, even apart from that though, it's still you know I, I don't have any like unhappy memories attached to it. Yeah, it's just like oh you know it's a lovely song about a couple who've been around the world, they've done everything, seen everything. Hey, you've been open with me. I'll show you my song with the rips my heart. This is lovely. I love it to bits. So, yeah, it's a really it's a really special score and it. It matches the visuals. I just love it. And everything they ever do on, on ice in this film is fantastic. Yeah, it's just, it's just good. I mean, the only word I can describe it is just a gorgeous, like, piece of music. Like, you know, even, I seen without Louis Armstrong, like, the music itself is just, like, lush. And, and however it's used in differently, you know, uh, as a song in the montage or... I, or as like a, a like a soft sort of uh, sl- like slower pace uh, sort of part in th- the, the tragic end of the film. It's you know it just sounds fucking gorgeous. It's just like just lovely. Just like oh, that's just perfect. That's just a lovely little piece of music. I mean, even the even the bit of music in the film that Becca dislikes most. Oh, what, well, the, mm-hmm. absolutely just... suits what it's doing. Oh yeah, it definitely suits the scene. But I mean, let, yeah. I mean, let's talk about. I mean, it's bizarre. In the one of the worst bits of music ever committed to a Bond film, absolutely is one of the most effective. Well, so we're talking about, about um, Christmas Nina. trees. The Christmas trees. Are. Yeah, do you know, yeah. It's I, I like, kind of oh. like it. I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's a lovely. It's very seasonal. In isolation, it's very saccharine, was... very sweet, and more... in isolation, it sounds ridiculous. Let's just hear a clip. <laughs> Do you know how Christmas trees are grown? They need sunshine. Sunshine can't grow Christmas trees alone. They need raindrops. Raindrops can't grow Christmas trees. Here's the reason why. In the winter, rain will freeze and the trees will die. Do you know how Christmas trees are grown? They need sunshine and raindrops. Friendship and kindness and most of all, they need So, in isolation, that sounded awful. Oh, dear God. <laughs> but in context, how is it used, Charlie? 
You know what? I can honestly remember that bit. All right. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's let's do that again. It's okay. It's all right. So in isolation, that sounds terrible. But in reality, can any of you remember how that was used? Yeah, it's uh, well, it's it's used a couple of times. Uh, once when Bond actually arrives uh, to meet uh, uh, what's her face and to go with Victoria. Yeah, ba- ba- it's basically whenever Bond's in that little uh, village thing, it's what's been played because it's like you know it's where they'll tour some Christmas because songs it, playing. It is like it's like it's inside like a snow globe. Yeah, it's like a Christmas That's song. That's the whole isn't it? feeling of it. It's almost untouchable. And uh, it, 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 it does have a slightly eerie tinge to it. I mean, like it, it, it just sounds a little odd when he arrives, but when he's actually back, back down there, and he's actually on the run. Uh, it, but it, but it, it's it just creepy. It just goes nothing. full on, like horror. Yeah. yeah. And nothing, you can't imagine that in, like, Tomorrow Never Dies or For Your Eyes Only or any other Bond film. There's a sequence in a Bond film that feels like creepy horror. Mm. Especially with the, like, horrible, like, guy in a a polar bear outfit just manically laughing at it. (laughs) (laughs) Terrifying. It is. It really is. It's an an amazing score. What do you, Charlie, where does it come on your list as a... I'd say probably around number two, number three. Um, oh, it's it's so good, and I think both the, both the film and the score are someone. Generally, when you have a franchise like Bond, um, there's always one point where people look at it and think that is the ultimate success. That's what we should try and. Um, Replicate Wrath of Khan for Star Trek is an obvious one. Yeah. Every pretty much every single, um, well, not even the music they've tried Star- to remake. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, 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 meaning, meaning just the nemesis. It, nemesis is a shit version of Wrath uh, of Khan. Well, they all are, they, you have all, all of them, even First Contact, even First Contact completely fucked the idea of the Borg so they could have a single nemesis for Data and Picard. Um, and it's just that's because everyone remembers Wrath of Khan. Everyone remembers um, the, the the conflict that Khan brought, and the success in that film. But they kind of because of that they don't kind of maybe pay attention to the other things that made that film so great. But again, for, for Bond, Goldfinger is always like the focal point for everything when it should be on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I think when you're talking about the James Bond series, not just musically, but just in general, um, not being able to move on, um, you kind of think of of that film and the way the way the way it's kind of especially come over time um, in terms of as, as from my point of view, how I've seen it grow in critical appreciation. Compared to uh, to kind of how I mean, obviously people always used to go on about Lazenby and that kind of thing, and it always always used to be kind of up one out, but mm. it's grown so much in, in license to kill is just starting to do the same thing. Ex- exactly, yeah. Um, so in in that way, it's it's kind of which makes guess, Chris and I geniuses. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's emotionally satisfying, mm. and that is something that really we. Um, we so rarely get from Bond, and obviously, 
the, the kind of Craig one. We don't that, always want it either. No, the Craig ones we don't need it. it. I mean, no. it's a bit like the best Bond films normally involve Bond falling in love. Not one of us would sit here and say we want Bond to fall in love every film. That would be absolutely it'll, ridiculous. It'll cheapen. Uh, a, a it wouldn't make sense for his yeah. character. But it is almost that line from Vanilla Sky. You've got to you've got to have the sour to appreciate the sweet. Mm. I mean, it's not bad Bond films, but we're quite happy to take a few that are kind of a little bit formulaic before yeah, well, I, before you hit the high point. Whether whether it's a kind of demographic thing, mm. whether they think that um, it won't get the female audience if they don't have a love story, mm. or have you? That's one of the reasons why I really like Quantum of Solace. Is because it doesn't really it doesn't have that. The, uh, the, yeah, the... and it ruined the world is not enough, which a lot of people hate. But there was a great film within that until they crowbar in someone just so he can have sex at the end of the film. And they, do it with you, they, they do it with You Only Live Twice as well. Absolutely no need for the Kissy Suzuki character. Again yeah. and again, Bond needed to finish the film in some woman's arms. Yeah. And the big plus of the Craig era is that doesn't matter. No, and the one... and. The one time they and did it, they're not served up as a prize to it. With, with the one time they did do it, it worked really well with Vesper because that worked well as because of the kind of pseudo reboot nature of the film. Anyway, that really worked really well in establishing Bond's character, um, and especially the the kind of the, the Daniel Craig type Bond. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and again, the the films. The only reference to it since then was the um, the, the graveyard in um, Fury's only. Yes. Uh, well, no, Tracy there. has been referenced once or twice. She was referenced... Uh, oh, the... Um, oh, in Spy, love me, she's referenced. At the bar. Yeah, at yeah, the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Married once, but... And also, yeah, and also licensed to kill. <laughs> he was married once, but it was a long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's hinted at with Brosnan when she says, have you ever lost someone or something like that? He, he just kind of pauses, yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They kind of tried to retcon that film out of existence. And they suddenly realised two and a half decades later, roughly, because it was about mid-90s, that it might be a bit of a masterpiece. Mm. And actually, (laughs) funnily enough, 20 years on, Licence to Kill is going through the same process. Yeah. No, I don't expect Licence to Kill to to reach the same um, lofty sort of heights in people's minds. But a film that was ranked near the bottom will suddenly be actually that's a bit special. Yeah, I genuinely think that. Yeah, and I actually, funnily enough, I quoted Vanilla Sky. I think that about Vanilla Sky as well. I think that's <laughs> that actually going to be reappraised. But you know, if the greatest of all Bond films in my mind and one of the top few for all of us got the best score, then one of the worst Bond films of the lot got oh. a disproportionately good score. <clears throat> Diamonds is a Diamonds Are Forever is obviously uh, probably the last one we'll cover tonight, and um, it's an odd one for me because I just think that film doesn't deserve that score. I don't know what the rest of you think. Um, I, I'll, I'm going to quote my notes verbatim here because I didn't write a lot about Diamonds Are Forever. Mm. Um, I wrote score is lovely, but the film is so unbearably shit. It's like pouring chocolate sauce over cat vomit. <laughs> oh my god. It's, it's it's like you yeah, have the same up. opinions of us, really. It's like you love Life It's a Kill and you hate. <laughs> it's, it's such an absolutely dreadful film that it, yeah, it just do, it doesn't deserve that music. 
No, the score is brilliant. I mean, my, my favourite, as I say, I'm not a fan of the film. It's, it's sort of campy, it's fun. Mm. Um, but yeah, my favourite kind of piece of the score is probably um, Winton Kids' theme. Mm. Um, the theme is so the most magical piece in it. And... Yeah, we can you... all hear that in our head. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> Should we hear a clip? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, what are we going to play? The Winton Kids' theme. If we can. Yeah. Let's hear it. Hitman holding hands. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, that's no, not at all. Cool. In fact, that was probably uh, quite daring come the time of that, actually, probably. I would have thought so. But I mean, uh, even the song, I mean, uh, oh, God, no, I'm going to hold that because we got a question at the end in which we're going <laughs> to, I'm going to answer that. But, yeah. But even the song, I think the song's terrific. It, it's yeah, fairly I, high up my list, I think. I love the song. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite funny. There's a funny anecdote about. Um, Producer Harry Saltzman going mental um, in John John Barry's flat in London um, because of how suggestive the lyrics are. And uh, (laughs) apparently John Barry did say to Don Black, say, write it as if she's talking about someone's knob. Um, (laughs) And uh, and he he kind of, Harry Saltzman went mental and then left. And then Cubby Broccoli just got drunk with John Barry and Don Black and just... Um, said it was all alright and they used the song but mm. it's, a, it's a great song and again Batty's Return she sings it beautifully no, it's very risque but she it's does. Can, very... We, can, can we hear a bit diamonds are forever they are all I need me, they can stimulate to tease me, they won't leave in the night, I've no fear that they might desert me, diamonds are forever. Yeah, beautiful, I mean I definitely think it's the best of the things she did. It's very slinky, it's very sultry, it's very sexy, lots going on. And it's about cocks. <laughs> As all diamonds. Bond themes should be. It's about something hard, Becca. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But ladies, um, it's all about the diamonds. You don't need men. Sodom, you know. <laughs> well, it's, well, a great, it's a great breakup well, song. To tell us about either, Becca. <laughs> I do have, speaking of the other songs, I do have a soft spot for her Moonraker. Especially the um, the disco version at the end. <laughs> Sorry, I've uh, yeah, disco. Uh, we're not I don't think we're that fond of Moonraker. <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, it's yeah. a guilty pleasure. <laughs> but Actually, yeah, I love the we, disco score. We get later into the series, uh, and you come back to cover. I'm not quite sure how we're going to break it down, but probably the Craig era. 
Mm. Uh, I really like her abortive version for Quantum of Solace. Yeah, no good about goodbye. Uh-huh. Mm. Absolutely beautiful. Mainly for the lyrics. Mainly because the lyrics are just so perfectly where Bond was at the start of that film. But I do it's like the song. It's a shame the, uh, the music's bland as fuck, but... Uh, sorry. <laughs> Actually, yeah, yeah. We don't like Quantum, generally. Yeah, but um, I, I genuinely think this score is wasted on this film. Absolutely. Yeah, the score's better than the film, which is a shame. But, mm. I'm but sorry to any can... uh, Diamonds of Forever fans, but there it is. But then John Barry had a run of films in the 70s um, that where the films were questionable in quality. Um, but, but he got great scores out. Like, for instance, his the the um the adaptation he did of King Kong in seventy six, which oh, has with, a beautiful uh, Jeff Bridges, that one. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Has a beautiful, yeah. amazing job. Well, one Murray of our score. one of our listeners, Brian Weir. Hi Brian, you mentioned it today to me, talking to me about it on uh, Facebook. And he was mm. just saying what a wonderful score it was and what a waste it was on that film. Yeah, absolutely. It's this beautiful kind of amazingly romantic score. And it's it's very kind of lush as you'd imagine from from Barry's orchestrations, um, and um, yeah, and it's just kind of I, I mean I think the film's a bit bit underrated just because it's generally everyone thinks it's shit, um, but yeah for for that um, in, in I'm a big of, fan. I, I do really like his somewhere in time score. Yeah, uh, I really do. But um, I, I the one thing I haven't looked into because we haven't got to Roger Moore yet. We start next week and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But um, I, I've got no real feel for why Barry stops. I mean, he's done every film through 1971, and the next film is George Martin. Um, I think because they become because they wanted McCart or they got McCartney's song. It was like a package deal, as far as I'm aware. Okay. Because because Martin did the orchestra. I, I mean, I think some of it as well because of um, tax reasons. Because um, I think at the time, um, Barry was uh, was living somewhere else or something. So I mean, it, it happened a couple of times. It's like Moonraker was was recorded in Paris. Because for right, same reason, reason Guy Hamilton didn't do Superman the movie. Exactly, it. yeah. We're back in an era where British taxes were eye-watering. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, in um, yeah, because he did have a uh, have an issue uh, with the inland revenue um, because the, who said he emigrated to avoid paying a large tax bill he had, and uh, it was resolved in the eighties. Um, but um, and also, yes, because Paul McCart because Paul McCartney had done the uh, the Live and Let Die song, um, George Martin had done the orchestrations for that, um, so he was just kind of seen from there as a uh, as a natural to go on and uh, and do the score. I, I so, do wonder what uh, Barry would have done with uh, Live and Let Die because it's quite uh, it's quite a poppy um, soundtrack, really. Yeah, I mean, well, but it's, it, it kind of suits it because it again, it's like new Bond, new attitude kind of feel, and it's obviously with its love like that, it's set in like New York and uh, and various various locations with like kind of like a black exploitation kind of feel to it as well. It it it, it yeah. feels very funky. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's very like a jazzed up kind of like uh, 
Bond theme, so it it kind of, it kind of suits us like in in in, in that kind of way. But I, I but don't... Chris, live and let die is the next episode with Charlie. <laughs> well, I know, I know. It is. Sorry, I'm getting <laughs> carried away. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, um, where do you want to go from now? Because obviously there were a few things. There were we've had a few questions, and there were yeah. a few missed themes that could have been. So, where do you want to go next? Um, I think yeah, I think going on to the uh, the questions is, uh, is is probably the best place to go. Okay. Okay, I'll read a couple of them out. Um, so yeah, from Brian, aka Film Buff Baker, he says, "What's the best use of Barry's music in this era? Or in this era, sorry." I think we go in order, but we'll start with Charlie each time. Charlie. Um, I think the uh, the opening uh, scene in Goldfinger is amazing, but um, I think just by far away for its emotional content is the final use of Werewolf all the time in the world, the orchestral version, and at the end of Her Majesty on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, it's the most effective, isn't it? I think it draws the the most mm. reaction emotionally, for sure. Absolutely. Chris? Uh, I've kind of, I was just thinking, well, Majesty's play is, is my favourite favorite of the current ones, really. Uh, well, current ones. The ones we've been to, ones we're talking about <laughs> currently. Um, yeah. <laughs> this sequence, yes. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was only last year, Majesty's came out. No, um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just great. I mean, I was just thinking my, about my personal favorite uh but no it is just uh i think it's just the main theme i mean i do think all time world is gorgeous and uh you know i'd i'd have to tip my hat but in 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 the in the face of variety i will say that because i just love how it just kicks off with a big dramatic dun 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 and it just kicks in like a nice little bass sort of time ticking thing i love it so uh yeah uh majesty for me Toss up between that bit of the film, the very start, and uh, him being pick, picked up and taken. It's three things actually. It's that. It's him being taken to Pitt's Gloria. I think the approach to Pitt's Gloria is beautiful, and I would also say the attack on Pitt's Gloria at the end. Becca. Becca. Oh, yep. Sorry, <laughs> just talking my earphones. Now. Um, no, I, I, I have to agree. I have to say, agree with you, Chris, as well. To say like the main theme, like the scene. Of Connery at the you know at the gambling table is like Bond, James Bond, and you just hear the theme come in the background. It's just it sets the scene for me. Um, but yeah, Majesties as well for sure. It's just as it draws the most impact emotionally for me. And and again, I like the um, the I don't know what you call the electronic aspect of it as well. That's something that really appeals to me. I like a lot of electronic music. So it's one of my favourite scores. But I would say Majesties as well. Okay, we've had a few questions, Becca. What else do we have? We have. Um, another one from Tom Barwick. Hello. It says, "Does John Barry's score present Diamonds of Forever, <laughs> prevent Diamonds of Forever from being the worst in the series?" <laughs> Should I read that again? <laughs> no, we got it. Because I made me laugh halfway through. I just think, oh, because obviously we discussed it a little bit earlier on. I just think, oh, Diamond of the Day is just like, oh. <sighs> okay. Basically, what you're saying is, uh, Diamonds of He's basically taking as a fait accompli that Diamonds of Forever is a terrible film. But he thinks the score is great. Is it enough to save the film? Yeah, is, is it redeemed by its amazing score? Chris? I think it does for most people. I think uh, I think people romanticise Diamonds of Forever because of the, the main theme in general, and because it's probably Connery as well. Uh, personally, 
for me. No, <laughs> generally, it, it, <laughs> it really doesn't. I mean, like, I, I, I'm more of a storytelling uh, as a whole, uh, and as good as a music can be. I mean, a, it's it's not, it 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 doesn't come close to the what what's gone before anyway. So, it, it I don't I don't think I think I think, oh, I think <clears throat> the best thing it's got for it is the Shirley Bassey song, and that's it. Charlie, um, the only thing in Diamonds Are Forever that prevents it for me in the worst of the series um, above Die Another Day is Lana Woods' cleavage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be slightly sexist, um, no, I think it's a terrible film, and I think even with a great amount of music in it it's still absolutely shit and i don't ever want to see it again <laughs> oh we watched it twice <laughs> we did oh dear yeah becca what do you think of the dance? um yeah i would i still rate during the day as the absolute bottom yeah but i mean it, it, it is is his diamonds are forever kept off the bottom by its score um yeah that would be the number two slot I think, hey. um, <laughs> just, just the, the Winton Kid motif on its own, I think, is enough to say. Yeah, but, that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan. The score is just too drum and bassy for me, and I just think. Uh, I don't know. Um, and for me, uh, I mean, there's something me, magic. No. There's something I'm like sorry? just it's so gloriously shit about uh, Dying of a Day that it's just like <laughs> so they, they, they just basically get like, oh, I, I don't. Oh, look, there's Madonna. <laughs> what what, what, what sorry, the fuck Dying were they thinking? Dying of a Day doesn't doesn't have a particularly terrible score. Particularly has a terrible song. Um, Dimes Are Forever has a nice score when we watched it recently a couple of times the score wasn't quite as good as I remember it's, I mean I thought it was in the same league as um, You Only Live Twice and Majesties and it, and it isn't I don't think um, but it's memorable it has a, a, a lovely opening song but no I mean story first I mean if, if you're nitpicking between two different films the score might make the difference I mean if I if I put for example, Casino Royale and On a Majesty's Secret Service equal, the fact that I really, really love the Majesty scores might tip it over, but you can't polish a turd. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, no. <laughs> I, I don't think it's enough to say what is frankly a terrible yeah. thing. So no, I, mean, I... I think wherever it ranks, and you're assuming we'll put it bottom, but let's just say it's going to be near the bottom, Tom. Uh, if it's going to be near the bottom, the score doesn't do anything to that scoring. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm all, I get more enjoyment out of watching Die Another Day than I do The Dams of Forever. And you'll yeah, get a lot of enjoyment out of listening to us watching. Yes. <laughs> Becca, <laughs> what's the next question? Um, yeah, the question is from at JW76. Hello. Um, it's a two-parter, so I guess we'll kind of... Oh, is this, just, is this Justin Whitby? Yeah. Yeah, hi, Justin. I, I saw you answered a few questions earlier. Go on, then. I think we kind of answered this personally on, on Twitter as well. Yeah. Um but yeah, the first part of the question is: Is the Bond theme a genre in its own right? Becca, what do you guys you reckon? That first, because you basically you've gone last on every question. So, Becca, what do you think? Mm, um, I kind of think so. In the way that this, like for me, Bond films are a genre all of their own because um, they follow a set pattern. And blah 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 blah. Um, so I would agree. I would argue that um, I think they are. They're a different. They're different to normal pop songs, as it were, and other other music released. Um, and they're kind of they're in their own little corner, and they're very magical for me. Um, but yeah, I would say yes, they are a genre in their own right. For me, I, I would just say that um, 
I, I, I do judge Bond, film, Bond themes on completely different criteria. You know, I am a man in my late 30s who would not normally sit here and talk about how great Shirley Bassey is. She's not really to my taste. That sort of music isn't my thing. But I've gone on podcasts recently and talked about how great No Good About Goodbye is and how much I like uh, Diamonds Are Forever. And the fact is, they suit whatever idea of a Bond theme I've got in my head. So, yeah, they're a genre all of its own. I mean, whether you... A lot of people didn't like You Know My Name because it's not a Bond theme. Well, if it's not a Bond theme, then Bond themes are a genre. So, yes, I, I would say they are. Chris, what do you uh, think? Question again, sorry. Um, is the Bond film... No, is the Bond song a genre in its own right? Uh, well, it's funny. I always think Bond films are, like... Well, for me, I always think when people say, let's watch your favourite films, I don't include Bond films, because to me, they're just separate. So I, I, I kind of have to say the same thing for Bond songs. You know, it, like, I, they're too tied in into James Bond for me. And I, I just have to, like, kind of always have to, like, put them, like, on their own little thing. You know, it's their own little sort of part, even though they are related, even though, yes, James Bond series are films, and yes... Those themes are songs, but I, you know, I, 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 I don't know what it is. I just they just don't seem right in putting them in other places because they just seem separate from everything to me. So yeah, I'd, I'd say from Charlie, do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you ha you have to judge um, the Bond themes by a certain criteria, um, and that criteria is is generally something that's been historically decided, um, obviously from the earlier films onwards um and there are kind of i guess several kind of tropes that people potentially look for in what makes a bond theme a bond theme like a lot for a lot of people it is the big kind of the kind of ballsy bold brass kind of sound of, of barry and the um the uh the lyrics as well and and how they pertain i mean someone um one, one of my friends on twitter recently um was going on about how much they like the new the Spectre song. Um, I can't remember the name of it. The Sam Smith. Yeah, and how because the uh, because it sounds like John Barry. Yeah, it does it. But I think I remember the but, first clip that he released of it was very Barry esque. Sure. It's very, but but to me it, it sounds like Elevator Music Barry. Oh. Like, <laughs> I I I'll be honest. I really don't like it. So no, that's okay. I, I'm not going to hold back. No, sure. that's all right. Um, okay, it, okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Being a Soul Smith fan, oh. <laughs> it's 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 like just just like someone's just looks at it and going, okay, so we'll put a John Barry kind of riff kind of there, and it just feels like they have just kind of wholesale stolen just one of the riffs and then just like, changed it slightly to to fit. But this that's the film. Thing. I mean, just, I, I like Spectre, but that's the film. And, and just saying, yeah. it really is They'll like it because... is working to much more than. Any film at a long time, it's working to a little bit of a formula. Yeah, and that's it. And and the the, the form and there's there's the formula, and there's again like, like you mentioned on this podcast last week, uh, very kindly about an article I wrote about how I feel about how James Bond looks too much to the past anyway, and how there's a certain formula that people seem to get up in arms in when it's not repeated. Um, while still wanting new things because to... Because the Bond series, more than any other series, is about cinematic comfort for yeah. people. And, and yeah, John, and John Barry was an, an amazing, amazing composer. And he so... was, and the thing is, he did... I mean, he did... A, he did. I think it was 11 scores, wasn't it? Mm. Well, 
<laughs> the obvious point is that's actually now less than half of them. Yeah, and he he is certainly a great degree of what Bond sounds like, and and obviously that's all total res- respect to him. But there are the kind of that things do need to change, and like I said, that's why like. Uh, on Her Majesty's because there was so much because if, and it's something Barry did himself is that it does feel like an evolution of what's happening and that and after that that kind of felt like it stopped but it still and, feels like a Bond theme yeah that's the great thing it's, it's that's, that's, different that's but it's similar it's like the use of the Moog um, and the use the use of electronics and like David Arnold uses electronics in his score but they, they it feels artificial it doesn't have that kind of blend and it doesn't feel like it's moving forward. It feels, instead of that, it feels like it's going to the past, which is why when um, so many people said about both Skyfall and Spectre about the Thomas Newman scores, and said, oh, we don't like this at all. We, most of them said, oh, we want David Arnold. And I'm like, fair enough. David Arnold did did, did a good job and, and, and as a lot of people really liked his stuff. But when you look at all the different composers out there, you want David David Arnold, right? He's he's who you fall back on. What about there's everyone from John Williams? He's by, to he's by proxy, Dave. He's by proxy, John Barry. That, that's yeah, why people it, want it, him exactly because John Barry's dead now, and before he was dead, he was retired. Yeah. And so, if you wanted John Barry, the closest you were going to get was David Arnold. Mm. I want Eric Sorrow, and that's back. why people want him. Mm? I want Eric Sorrow back. No, nobody wants that. No, well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, sorry, Eric, sorry, but nobody wants it. Yeah, yeah, can't, can't wait to the Goldeneye episode. Um, but I, I wonder if that said, score is going to get a reappraisal, incidentally. No, I well, love, it, I love the experience of love, but it'll be like a second opinion when it's definitely cancer. <laughs> well, it, it depends because there's quite a bit of it in there, isn't Eric Sarah because they replaced it. Um, well, I know they did with but, um, the but Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, you'll be on for that episode, so we don't need to talk. I can't no. wait for that. I mean, the next two episodes, I mean, as, as pleased as I am to have you on here tonight, I can't wait for the next two. The more era, because it's more diverse. Uh, and then after that, we get Arnold, so you can have a moan about him being a bit like John Barry, but what else? But we get we get the Eric Sarah. Yeah. <gasps> and, it's, oh, and, and Michael Caine, because... Because, um, <laughs> and Chris Zolo as well. Yeah, we're going to break at the end of Roger Moore, so you're going to have John Barry's last score, and it's a good one. And you're going to have like Michael Kamen and Eric Serra. There's going to be so much to talk about down the line. Absolutely. Eric's get Serra's score, I thought was horrible, but it's got a couple of nice bits. I quite like the Golden Eye Overture. Mm, and David Arnold is a big fan of it, and has has gone on record defending it several times mm. because it is different. I think that's probably why it's, it's so jarring, though. I think a lot of, that's why a lot of people have difficulty with the Sam Smith song, because certain aspects of it are so jarring. I think if you sat down and watched the whole film, most of the score's not that bad, but the bits... No, just the, the bits the like bits. The, um, the the car chase between like Bond and... That's awful. When they, when they pass like the cyclists on the road... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. I think it's more that the bits are bad, that are, are so bad, that yeah. it poisons the rest of the score. Yeah. If you watch the film from scene to scene, it's not that bad. These are, no, if, once, they, if, once they get to... Um, it's amazing. These are, if we were watching it in, like, if it was, like, in French, would it gel a bit better? Say if it was, like, a, like actually, like, a, a foreign language. I think the complete silence answers your question. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. 
I don't know. Maybe it just might better suit the flavour no, a bit. Is the answer to that one? I mean, it's, it's, it's I mean that, that is the most random question ever. I mean, that, no, that's because, a bit like, what okay. if we were watching I, I, it and we were doing something? Yeah, no, no, hey. I mean, that's because just like, what he's got, he's he's got distinct... What if we were watching it and he... I guess because it's got uh, that European... Yes, exactly. European flavour to it. Has flavor. Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, I see, because I, I, I do see the madness behind... The, the method behind Chris's madness. In yeah, I question. understand that as well. Um, I, I think what's, what's difficult the is... The Bond series generally, uh, Charlie, that um, starting really with probably Live and Let Die, the series just copies the thing of the day. And mm. you've got to think about when Leon came out. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah they're very similar. And they're just looking for... And, and you've got to... I, I can't blame them. I mean, if you're a Bond producer... Well, if you're Barbara Broccoli, frankly, in late 94, you've just cast this guy and your father's on his deathbed, effectively. You've never done one solo. The Cold War's ended and you haven't had a hit. And I mean a big, a big, big hit since the late 70s. All of the 80s Bond films did okay. Um, you're going to be rather nervous. So you are going to be looking around you for what might be popular. And so I can understand why they want the Eric Serra route. But the thing is, like or hate David Arnold, because he's so John Barry-esque, uh, the Eric Serra score really stands out yeah. by comparison. It's like a sore thumb. Because you've got a load of Barry-esque stuff, and the stuff that isn't is during the disco era, so you just think, well, that's a product of its time. And so, yeah, Eric Serra's score sticks out. I still think it's the, the worst score in the entire series, but I do think you can pick the three or four worst bits in it and extrapolate that out to the whole score, and the whole score's not yeah. that bad. But, look, but look, like you said, the, the one bit that everyone kind of remembers as not being that bad, the tank chase, was something that was reworked to sound more like John Barry. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Who actually did, did that, Charlie? Score. Because I know it wasn't him. I believe it was not John Gardner. Is the um, John Altman? Oh right. Okay. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Nasty Nick. No, 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 not him. I was going to say John Gardner, and then I realised that he was the um, Colonel Sunga. Yeah, he's a continuation author. Colonel Sun was Robert Markham. Well, King Amos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. What am I? Uh, oh, he did License Renewed, didn't he? Yeah, he was the continuation author. So. That's a, yeah. The, yeah, it was a guy called John Altman who, yeah, isn't, isn't Nasty Nick. Um, no. But, um, <laughs> I think something that, that needs to be possibly taken into consideration is, is the way you can look at the scores away from the films. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty sad that when they did the whole massive box set, um, of, of the bomb films for when the, the, the 50th anniversary of when Skyfall came out. Um, and uh, I, by the way, I was, I was lucky enough to win one signed by Roger Moore. Yeah, we've, oh, well done. Um, Myself and Becca have that set. Yeah. So, I'm not signed by Roger Moore. Oh. No, I'm signed by Roger. Um, nice. But, but um, they, they didn't have anything like um, the isolated score tracks that they do have on some uh, DVDs and, and Blu-rays. Um, which... I mean, I love it because the Blu-rays are beautiful and they, they put a mm. lot of effort into restoring them. But that set, uh, and also there's a lot of legacy extras from the original DVD releases and stuff. Yeah. But it's and not a very good release. This, I mean, there's very... an extras disc and yeah. you think, well, that's coming 23. That'll have some interesting stuff on it. And basically it has all the uh, theme tunes, the title sequences 
glued together that will yeah. last about an hour. And there's not much else. I mean, it, it's not a very good set, actually. Exactly. I love it. I love it because, you know, it's all the Bond films and they look beautiful. But they could have done a much better job with it. Yeah, I mean, when the... Uh, because, obviously, with James Bond films, by their very nature, there's lots of explosions and lots of gunfire and things like that. So it's, it's not easy to... Um, to be able to hear some of the music. And in terms of the Connery era films, um, majority of the uh, of the scores from there have, were re-released around 2003, um, or possibly earlier than that, in a uh, in in mostly complete versions. So there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of bonus tracks where um, a lot of the score that wasn't previously available on the albums that were released at the time of the films uh, was made available. Um, so it's, it's so we can get that and we can look at it that way because that's another thing I did once I was researching that was look was going along and listening to all those albums again, um, but it's but because at the time it was a, it was for like something like the uh, the fortieth anniversary or something like that so it was very kind of rushed so the the decision was taken at the time um, by the producers and by Eon and EMI who were financing it all was to only do the uh, the Connery eras and uh, also uh, Live and Let Die um, so most of the other ones were just kind of reissued without any extra bits in so they're just very much the uh, um, the albums that were released at the time which I mean because the Moonraker album does not have one one um, rendition of the James Bond theme on it at all <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, that's this one thing that I try and that I try and talk about a lot about soundtrack albums is because of the lead times that they have to work out with things like that, how many how many soundtrack albums um, feature music that's not eventually used or is reworked, or for instance, if especially if they're editing at the time and the lead the kind of the time in advance that these things have to be um, produced. That uh, very much time a lot of the the music is left off, so if you're trying to trying to pay attention to that music while everything else is going on is 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 quite tricky unless you're you're someone like me who just absolutely pours over it in everything he sees. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I was going to go next. Actually, that I mean, Majesties is my favourite for most things. But I think even Chris and Becca probably put that score top, and I think it's been clear from what they've said tonight. If you took Majesties out of the game, what 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 are your favourite bits of of the sort of sixties through well through the Connery and Lazenby era? Uh, I can't. I it, it's I kind of like. Um, I know it's like wasn't the most popular of the ones, but I I do actually quite like the. Uh, the Thunderball's take on the James Bond theme because it's quite sort of dramatic. Oh, the 007 thing. Uh, is, is that the... Which, which, which... It's more, yeah, it is. It's more percussive yeah, than the... I really like that. The version everybody knows and the version that's on the Bond 50 album is the uh, From Russia With Love one. Mm. And the Thunderball version is, is a lot more percussive and it's a mm. more... Dramatic in very... Dramatic, yeah. I'm not sure I prefer it, but they've definitely done something different with mm. it. Uh, what was I think? Oh, sorry, gone back. No, sorry, I, I forgot what I was gonna say. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just gonna, th- I, I was just gonna say, I was trying to think of uh, the, like something else, but you, you go ahead while I go and think of something else. 
okay, from the Connery era, um, I would probably say Goldfinger, perhaps, just because it's a really iconic cute, uh, piece of music. Um, the whole but, score of the song. Uh, well, yeah, the song and the, the whole score as well. Um, if we're looking at the, the Moore era as well, um, we have to talk about Bond 77 from The Spy Who Loved Me. We can. I know, I know, but later on, later on, later on. Um, yeah, Goldfinger stands out for me. Like, so for example, Majesty didn't exist and we couldn't include it. Goldfinger was what, what, what yeah, sorry, I can't even talk. Goldfinger is what would stand out for me. Uh, can I also add the space theme in um, You Ain't Lived Twice? Oh, yeah! Forgot about that. Yeah, I might have to join you there, Chris. Love it. I really, really love it. Charlie, what do you think, Don? Um, I think You Ain't Lived Twice is, is really a standout, and I think more than Goldfinger. Um, and that there's one, one bit that always kind of stood out was um, when the... Uh, when when Blofeld has had drops the bridge to the piranhas, um, and there's a lovely use of the James Bond thing when he's talking about the failure of the guy to to kill James Bond, and um, lovely kind of Eastern flavored version of the James Bond melody, which is just lovely. There's always a kind of ding 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 ding. ding. Yeah, <laughs> but just in a kind of beautiful Eastern kind of flute kind of. Feel which it was just gorgeous, but I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to kind of take out on Her Majesty's and uh, and pick something else, but just because it's so it's so high up there. I mean, I genuinely think I almost think you could put any Bond in place of Lazenby, and there'd be a bigger consensus on it. Mm. Oh, absolutely! Uh, and yeah. I don't mean they'd be better. I just mean in public. I view. think so. So so much of the disdain is who's he. Yeah. Oh, he's not really an actor. And no. I just think if you, if you pick any of the rest of them, with the possible exception of Dalton, funnily enough, he'd probably be the best in it, but because the public never really warmed to him. If you put it with, like, the better-known Bond films, I just think it is so far ahead of the rest, it's laughable. And, and you know, we talked to somebody tonight online who, who, who ranks it literally bottom. Yeah. You, um, you, we literally had an exchange, Charlie and I, with someone tonight who was very nice and very reasonable, and they just said, yes, by far the worst Bond film. Yeah, that's my friend Kate. Uh, she actually asked a question as well, which I thought might be a nice place to end it. Was, uh, ah, yeah, but, hang on, um, before we get to that, is that the last question we have, or are there any more, Becca? Um, I think that's pretty much it. I think we covered them all. Um, I was going to throw in a curveball question at the end. but <laughs> you can... No, do that before we get to Kate's yeah, you question. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I just wanted to find out. Um, obviously, now... Spectre is done. Um, who do you want to score the next film? I would probably say Michael Giacchino for me. What do you guys think? Dave? Um, Sorry. Do you know, in the nicest possible way, I, I don't care. And, and, and I don't mean I literally don't care. I mean surprise me. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I'm guilty of it too. And, and when I said on the podcast I owe Charlie a debt, I meant it. Just in as much as they're like, yeah, I'm looking for like John Barry every time. The guy's dead. Let's do something else. The, the series has to slowly move on. Put someone else in there. Uh, the only truly awful <clears throat> I can think of is uh, Bond score. I can think of is Eric Serra's. Even Bill Conti's, I don't mind. Um, disco, disco. I don't mind it. It's of its era. I mean, I don't think it was to any other film. And I think it was two years too late for disco. But even so, <laughs> it's okay. Um, surprise me. Let, let's see who comes along. I mean, the fact is, it depends who gets... I think it's going to be driven who, by who gets the director's gig. 
if Sam Mendes changed his mind and come back, it's Thomas Newman again. If JJ Abrams suddenly decided he wanted to do it, it would be Michael Giacchino. Oh, wow. If Spielberg suddenly decided he wanted to do one, it's John Williams. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. I'm Could just Thomas I'm, Newman again. I'm, I'm just naming directors <laughs> where I actually know who they go with. Yeah. Sure. It's gonna yeah, be dri- it's gonna be driven by who directs. Why yeah. um, be good with Cello? Just this Cello. Yeah. Michael Giacchino strikes me as somebody who's very um, versatile, and I just think he'll do what the score requires. If you put Michael Giacchino on a Star Wars film, he'll produce a Star Wars theme. If you put him on a Bond film, he'll produce a Bond theme. Let's just, I, I'm actually, I, I don't mind. And if it's yeah, Nolan, I, I it'll be Hans Zimmer all the way, going, well, it's, 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 But if it's Hans Zimmer, Fine. <coughs> yeah, I like anyway. I mean, they'll, they'll definitely use the bomb theme. They always do. They'll definitely use strings and horns because they always do. Um, and if it's got a Zimmer take on it, then fine. I've got a list. Oh, go on. Oh, go on then. Let's hear Let's it. Giacchino it. Um, Giacchino is, is one of my favorite composers, and I love him. So he would be on there somewhere. Mm. Um, I think he would he would be amazing. Um, I think maybe he would fit more of a kind of Roger Moore kind of style than than anything else, just because. I think he t- tonally, he he works better when he's got something that's got a bit more humour behind it. Um, there's a guy called Joe Kramer who did the score for Mission Impossible Five, oh, yeah. which was just unbelievable. That score was terrific. Yeah. And I have to admit, I can't remember any of it now, but I do remember walking and, um, and going, it's, especially if 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 the director of that, Christopher McQuarrie, was to do Bond. He'd be, he'd be a really good director for Bond, I think. Well, it, it, it's and weird also, you it's... saying that, because uh, my opinion of watching uh, Mission Impossible 5 was like, this is like an American Bond film. It's just that yeah, they I've... felt exactly like... Much. The only problem <laughs> is they've only, gone, they've only gone outside the Commonwealth once, and it was Mark Forster. Um, for some reason, they tend to try to stay British, and if not, within the Commonwealth. There's no earthly reason an American couldn't direct. An American wrote tons of these things. Um, well, they absolutely. But yeah. whether they would, I don't know. I mean, frankly, I, I'm really holding out for Dennis Villeneuve. But if it's Christopher McQuarrie, brilliant. Yeah, I'd be happy with either of those. Mm. Well, absolutely. Um, well, it's Dennis Villeneuve who, who does the scoring for him, usually. Or... Johan Johan, yeah. Johansson. What else has he done? He he uh, did the theory of, of everything. He did prisoners. Um, so this he, right. yeah, and he's uh, he's done some really nice uh, work. I mean, funny funny enough, I mean, it's, it's you look at in the past where they've like like they offered the um, was it Burt Reynolds they offered the role? Yeah. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's lovely. It, uh, do you know what? When we get to Star Trek, it's a bit like that. Everybody yeah. like holds Gene Roddenberry up on this pedestal. And when you actually look at like some of the decisions he made, it's like, well, he wasn't that fucking amazing in yeah. some respects. He came and and I think Cubby, Cubby Broccoli's kind of the same. That everyone goes, yeah, we got to get back to Cubby Broccoli. And you think, well, hang on a minute, you need yeah. to cast John Gavin, you need to cast fucking Adam West, okay. and, and you need to cast Burt Reynolds. There's supposedly as well that um, around the time of the Spy Who Loved Me, that Spielberg was considered, but they wanted to do how he did with Jaws first before. Signing him up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, it's just yeah. Let's see how the fish film does first. Exactly. Um, Trent Reznor 
<laughs> will be another one again going in a completely different direction because I that think you interesting. That, that I can hear license to, a license to kill type film out yeah, of that. After, yeah, um, and um, the postbook movie. So my my final one would be James Newton Howard, who I think at the time of Goldeneye, because he had done that, he had recently done The Fugitive, which was an incredible action score. Um, would have been a great choice then. I think it still would be now because he is still knocking them solidly out of the park every time. Um, and he's a really interesting composer, and um, I think he'd bring a very kind of quite a classy edge to the uh, to the Bond action. But um, yeah, that that's my list over. Oh great! Oh wow. So what, cool. what was the uh, last question that we what had? Was Kate's question. Um, what's your favourite Bond theme? Ooh. What does she mean by that song? I think the song. Yeah. So. Okay. <sighs> That's a tough one. Um... <laughs> I think we're all going to say the same thing, so let's let's pick other things. Right. <laughs> no, we're not. Go on. No, we don't. Um, I know God. what you're going to pick up. Oh, there's so many. Um... Well, your favourite song, your favourite song is a Bond theme, so it's got to be that one, doesn't it? Oh, look, favourite song ever? Yeah. Or just in Bond or not in Bond? No, but your favourite song full stop is a Bond theme. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that. And I'm trying to pick something else. Like, I keep that separate to everything else. What, pick, um, pick, what, pick something you don't like as much? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not privy to this. Let's, so what pick, is let's your, pick one that's shit. Brilliant. What is your favourite song ever? <laughs> yeah, it's all the time in the world. That's my favourite song in the world. Cool. Okay. Well, that answers the question. Then. Well, my, 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 mine is um, Nobody Does It Better. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Chris? Mine would, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of juggling between uh, License to Kill and uh, uh, You Know My Name and uh, uh, let's say for now License to Kill just because I'm a License to Kill fan. Yeah, I don't know. I love love that. I'm with you, Charlie. Nobody does it better. It's the best one thing. Mm. So there we are. Great. Yeah, I think about that wraps things up. <laughs> it does. Um, just before we let, well, Charlie's going to stay till the end of the episode, but just to wrap things up for Charlie, we, uh, we're we going to go on to what we're going to talk about next in a moment. Charlie, we've got like another eight weeks of different things then. Uh, and then when we get to the end of the Roger Moore era, we'd like to talk to you again. Fantastic. With a raised eyebrow. With a raised eyebrow <laughs> and a massive erection. <laughs> cigar. You mean cigar. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, Charlie, where can we find you? What's your website, social media? Where can we find you online? Lots of different places and nooks and crannies. Um, filmsonwax.co.uk is the usual place um, that I haunt. Um, I also do a, uh, a podcast, which is called Movie Drone. And finally, enough, the first episode of that was on the music from License to Kill. So if you go to soundcloud.com slash films on wax uh you can go and listen to it there um also if you just search itunes for films on wax or movie drone um you'll find it there as well cool great thanks very much thank you very much for having me oh, wow yeah it's been brilliant this is this has been what well i mean if you include the specter episode this, this has been four episodes away from the reviews and as great as they've been we're going to go back to legacy episodes and like reviewing yeah, reviewing the rest of the Bond reviews. Yeah, <laughs> reviewing the rest of the series and researching them and all the rest of it, 
and we get to Roger Moore next week. Yeah, definitely change of flavour this time. makes it sound like it's going to be a fun week. <laughs> I, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, really yeah can't we're wait. going to Roger Moore next week. <laughs> uh... Yeah, and then we'll relax at the weekend and talk about it. <laughs> if you want to follow us across the social medias, um, please send us an email. We don't get any emails. <laughs> you can email us at expectedtotalk at dmo.com. Or you can find us on Facebook slash Expected to Talk or Twitter at Expected to Talk. And where can uh, listeners follow you if they want to follow you on Twitter, Becca? Um, at r underscore view movies. That's very long and cumbersome, so never mind. All of that or just the r view movies bit? Yeah, r view movies pretty much. Yeah. But you have, to, yeah, you have to have an underscore thing, don't you? Yeah. yeah. I might, I might be changing my Twitter handle soon anyway. Well, so. What, what would you change it to? Com forward slash. Uh, something less... Difficult to what, what, type. Dave, what would you change uh, Becca's Twitter handle to? What would I change it to? Yeah. Uh, well, if I wanted to like reflect Becca's character, I'd just go, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but she's quite the diplomat. That's cool. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm, anyway at, Dave, I, I'm, at the pasty, I'm at the Pasty Kid 1976. Uh, I'm at Cinematronics. That's thanks. Um, yeah, thanks very much, everybody, and we will return next week with "Live and Let Die." I've actually thought of what uh, Becca's new uh, Twitter handle should be. Go on tap, then. Tap 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 tap. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I need the shit. Might be quite rude. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> We're assuming you had a shit because you were on ages. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was actually making. I was actually boiling the kettle as well at the same time. So. Were you? Uh, yeah, Why did you need to sterilise? How was it that bad? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was about for my back. Sorry. Sorry, I'm busy. Which is the first? Oh, really sorry about that. Um, Our next yeah, that episode was... is Roger Moore. <laughs> and then when we finish, Bond, oh, you have to. You, you, your Twitter should be raised eyebrow. Raised <laughs> eyebrow. I just don't like sort of yeah. No, that's it. But no, it's quite long. It's because like a couple of years ago, we started like myself and a friend doing like a blog on, on Tumblr, and it was like our view is in R is in O U R, and then he dropped out, and I just kind of carried it on, and now it's not really about anything. I haven't updated it for about two years, and I'm like, hmm, need to change it. So, <laughs> or maybe you should just fully embrace the expect us to talk. To mm. Yeah, I'd just do that. I think. I'll just take expect the underscore Becca or something. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just wait. keep the so. underscore. Uh, mine could just be a stream of swearing. <laughs> bugger shit wank piss. Yes. That's bugger shit wank piss. Get it all, get it all out. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, when we finish Bond, we're going to do indie. And when we finish indie, we are doing Star Trek. And after that, we haven't decided yet, but they're Westerns. definitely the next three. Becca wants to do westerns. We'll figure something out with westerns. Definitely. No, we'll probably do Hitchcock maybe at the end of the Star Trek and Indy. Uh, maybe Star just Trek ask like a poll, like, okay, which westerns do you want us to do? Yeah, westerns is maybe like revisionist westerns cool. or something like that, or the kind of like or the spaghetti 60s. westerns or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah, the kind cool. of post sixties. Or Clint Eastwood ones or whatever. We'll figure it out. But um, the Die Hard movies. Uh, the point is, though, when we get to Star Trek. Uh, I believe you're a Jerry Goldsmith fan. Oh, me? Probably. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He's my favourite composer. Yeah. Ah. I thought so. So, obviously, this talk about that and 
Yeah, we'll definitely do one. Absolutely. And you were trek down by the sound of it. So. Yeah. Yes. Well, judging by the giant stash, French voice tattooed on my arm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Not much of a fan, though. Which version? Which version of the end? Oh, the 1966. Well, that's what I figured, but I thought I'd ask. <laughs> All right. Um, 